Happy Thanksgiving a day late and a dollar short. How are you? Did, did you overeat? Did your football team win? Except if you're Chris Carey and Eric Kelly, where are you guys? Let's have a moment of silence for, for the Carey family and the Kelly family. All of their teams lost. <laughs> Sorry. Just kidding. My wife is here. Hi, Gwenny. Raise your hand, baby. And sitting next to Gwen is my good friend Bedford. Bedford runs a camp in Lake Tahoe. So if you ever want to visit Lake Tahoe, there's your guy. Spectacular. Bedford and I worked together in 1975 and 76. Bedford was my first, uh, second camp wrangler. He ran the horse program and then ultimately became the camp director after I left East Texas. Longtime friend, great guy, great family. We're just blessed to have him. Uh, here today, get to meet Bedford, especially you guys that want to work at Lake Tahoe for a summer. It's a pretty special place, pretty special place. Well, we had a great Thanksgiving. We had all ten of the grandchildren. <laughs> and three of them stayed with me for a week, and, and, and two of them with, we, were with me for two weeks. They are the toddlers. And we have, have, have you had a two-year-old and a three-year-old lately? Boy, they're loud. There's one now. <laughs> You know, they're unbelievable, but it, it, it dawned on me again as I watched their mothers work all week, how different it is being a mom from being a dad. There's this great old ditty that uh, Gwen re reworked. It's called, When Mother Wants to Go to Bed. When Mother Wants to Go to Bed, she straightens up the house, sets the breakfast dishes out, irons sister's blouse, feeds the baby, airs the cat, mends the trouser seam, well, they don't do that anymore. Checks the doors and thermostat, soothes a troubled dream. Cleans out backpacks, starts the lunches, plans tomorrow's clothes. When father wants to go to bed, he goes. <laughs> and so over Thanksgiving, I was uh, amazed again at how unappreciated moms can be over, over Thanksgiving. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to, sh moms, share what... What is it you'd like for Christmas? We're into the heavy-duty shopping season now. Did anybody go out on Black Friday? Why? They have this new thing tomorrow. It's called Cyber Monday. And, you know, here's what I need you to do, ladies. Tell your husband now, what would you like for Christmas? Go ahead, tell him. Tell him. Tell him. See, we're really good at having, if you'll tell us what we want, tell us what you want and tell us where to buy it. Guys are great with lists, aren't they? My... You expect us to be good relation. We're not good at relational stuff. My wife knows exactly what each person is like and what their dislikes are. One of our granddaughters had a birthday while she was with us. She knew what colors to make the party. She knew she wanted a Rapunzel party. Now, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a Rapunzel party, but we actually got a gold rope and had a tug-of-war. Think about this. Women are great at that stuff, guys. Like cake, maybe, you know, that's it for a birthday. So, uh, you know, we, we don't appreciate moms a lot of the time, and, and sometimes dads are un, unappreciated as well. I do have one quick announcement uh, that I want to do before I do the message, and that is uh, this. How many of you went to the Life of Christ walkthrough this summer? Got about four of you. Here we go. Bethlehem? Bur no, we're not going to do that. Well, if you didn't make it, or if you missed one or two or three lessons, one of my friends in North Carolina has taken all of that stuff, and he's put it on a YouTube broadcast with the PowerPoints, 
and he's blown up the PowerPoint presentation. So maybe you're looking at something to do for the new year. This is the equivalent of a Bible college course. It's everything I know about the life of Christ when it comes to the Jewish background and the stuff we do that's so much fun. So if that would be helpful for you, that's on our website. It's for free. You can get that if you have questions. Uh, please, please feel free to contact me. And if you didn't come, I won't feel unappreciated like the subject of today's sermon, Joseph. We're entering a Christmas series called What If? And we're going to deal with different characters from the Christmas story. And the question today is, what if Joseph had chosen an easier way? And so that's what we're going to focus on in this message. And then each week leading up and through Christmas, we'll focus on another person. But here's the big idea for the message today. God's way often seems what? Harder, but it is always what? Better. Read that with me, would you? Here we go. God's way, here we go. God's way often seems harder, but it is always better. And we're going to see how often that is true in the life of Joseph. You know, Joseph is often overlooked in the Christmas story. We only find him in one passage of the Bible. He occurs in Matthew at the end of chapter 1. And these might be familiar verses to you. If not, just read along with, not out loud, but read along with me while I read out loud. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a whole lot of stuff in that verse. Mary and Joseph are engaged. The Hebrew tradition was that they were betrothed. There are three stages to the Jewish wedding. There's the betrothal, there's uh, the actual engagement, the betrothal, and then the marriage itself on the wedding night. And when a Jewish man decided to marry a Jewish woman, he had to pay for her. It was called a bride price. As the father of sons, I think this is a hideous idea. I'm much more in favor of the dowry arrangement. But you would go to the father of a young Jewish girl and you would offer to pay a large sum of money, usually a year's wages, for the privilege of marrying the daughter. Now that's why often older men married younger Jewish women. That's probably why Joseph is not around after Matthew chapter 1. Because it's likely that Joseph dies before the ministry of Jesus starts. He was probably older than Mary. Their tradition is that Mary would have been a teenager. It also explains why in the New Testament there are so many references to orphans and widows. Because Jewish men would marry younger women and leave families behind. You know, Jesus has six brothers and sisters, and they are orphans. If you read the book of James, written by the half-brother of Jesus, he talks about orphans. This is true and undefiled religion in the sight of God, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. And so Jesus was in that situation where a man would come to the family of a young Jewish girl, and he would lay down a contract, and he would pay a price for her, and he would bring along some of his family's best wine. And now she has a decision to make. Does she agree to the terms in the contract? And if she does, she drinks the wine. It's what we do as the bride of Christ every time we take communion. We agree that our groom, Jesus, has paid for us what's in the contract, which what has Jesus paid for us? His whole life. And when we take communion, we're agreeing to be betrothed to Jesus until he comes for us and we celebrate our marriage in heaven. The purpose of the betrothal, frankly, was to protect the man. It was a man's world. And if a woman would show up unfaithful and get pregnant during the 12 to 24 months of betrothal, then the man would get his money back. 
You literally had to go through a divorce to make this happen. Now Mary's pregnant in spite of the fact that she's a virgin. And three times in this one paragraph, there's an emphasis on the virgin birth. She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit, and all that's spelled out in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. But here's Joseph, and he's engaged to this young Jewish girl, the girl of his dreams. He's paid virtually all the money he's saved for the right to marry her, and she turns up pregnant. And in the next verse, we read, Now Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man. The Hebrew word here is righteous. It means that he, before God, had offered the sacrifices he knew to offer in hopes that one would come ultimately and redeem him from his sin. And he didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement how? Quietly. So he could go to her father and he could say, Look, I want to make a public humiliation of her. In fact, he could have had her stoned under the Jewish law. But rather than do that, he's just simply going to get his money back and go on about his life. And then there's something that happens. As he considered this, I'm just thinking Joseph. My life is in order. I've got a carpentry business. I've got the girl of my dreams. I'm going to enjoy life here in Nazareth and move on. And all of a sudden, she's pregnant. And an angel shows up and said, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, in this dream, receives a five-fold message. First, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And I'm guessing there's a lot of baggage that goes with taking a pregnant girl as your wife in their culture. Second, the child is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Really? I mean, the Holy Spirit was around since the beginning of time, but he didn't show up much for the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would anoint a prophet and he would prophesy, but the Spirit of God hasn't shown up in Israel for 400 years, and all of a sudden, he's got her pregnant? Third, she will have a son, okay? And you are to name him what? Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's important, Joseph. You're going to do the naming because in the Jewish world, the child is named on the eighth day, the boy is circumcised, and the man who names the child is responsible for and claims him as his own and bestows on him the rights of inheritance. But instead of naming him Junior, I want you to give him the name Jesus. And again, in their world, if you had a son, your firstborn son was going to be named after the father or at least some near relative, but Joseph, you're going to give him the name Jesus. Jesus is the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means Joshua, which means salvation, and that's because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place, occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin, there she is again, will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph, you're in the program of God, fulfilling the prophecies of God Be the person of God that God wants you to be. And so we read in the text that when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her. One of the translations says he kept her a virgin, third time in one little paragraph, until her son was born and Joseph named him what? Jesus. So Joseph is a good man. He is a man who is obedient to the call of God in his life, 
He's a man who understands that God's way is usually harder, but it's often better. He gets that. The question for the, for the day is, what if Joseph had chosen an easier way? What if Joseph had chosen an easier way? This would be a great discussion for you around the lunch table after church. What if Joseph had said, I'm not in on this. She's pregnant, let her deal with it. Well, the first thing, we, we ask, what happens to Mary? We know that Mary visited Elizabeth, remember her? Mary is uh, related to Elizabeth, it's her cousin, and Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist, and Mary went to visit Elizabeth, and maybe she just stays in Judea with Elizabeth because she doesn't want to show her face in Nazareth because surely in Nazareth she's going to be shunned. To have a baby out of wedlock in that culture is a big no-no. Maybe she's stoned if she hangs around. Under the Jewish law, if you're involved in adultery, any kind of sexual relationship outside of marriage is punishable by stoning. Mary is willing to submit to the will of God in this as well. I don't want to take away from her. In one of our weeks, we'll deal with Mary. But what if Joseph had said, you're on your own, girl? How would Jesus be born in Bethlehem? That was a big deal. You know, Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. The Old Testament prophet Micah, chapter 5 and verse 7, says, You, Bethlehem, although you're a small city, out of you will come forth a ruler of Israel. And so that's why Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem, because Mary and Joseph were not from Bethlehem. They were from Nazareth. And because Joseph is in the equation, he goes back to his village, which is the village or the city of David. And Jesus is born there. But if Joseph says, forget it, I'm taking the easier way, Jesus is going to have a hard time being born in Bethlehem. And the prophecies about the Messiah are going to have a great deal of difficulty being fulfilled. It had to be that Jesus was born into the family of King David, and he had to be born in Bethlehem, and he had to be born of a virgin, and he had to be born in the right family at the right time, in the right place. And if Joseph says, I'm not doing this, the prophecies about the Messiah would have not been fulfilled. Next, the genealogy would have been affected. You know, the very first verse of your New Testament, Matthew 1, 1 says, this is the genealogy, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it's important that Jesus be directly related to David. And Joseph was directly related to David. And when Joseph names Jesus, he's saying, you have the rights to my inheritance. You have the rights to the Davidic throne. Because 21 generations before Joseph was King David. Fifth, Mary might have ended the pregnancy. You know, in our world, a lot of people choose to terminate pregnancy. But there's no doubt in my mind that in the Scripture, a baby in the womb is a person. Jesus is considered a person. John the Baptist is considered a person. The Old Testament considers a baby in the womb a person. And if Jesus hadn't been born, where would you and I be? And last, his childhood would have been very different. I imagine Jesus had a pretty crazy childhood. Have you just been with family all weekend? Are you going to have him back for Christmas? No, thank you. you know, Jesus had at least six siblings. James and Joseph and Judas and Simon were his brothers. James and Jude write books of the New Testament. And if Jesus is not born into that family, he has different siblings. Now, some of us would prefer to have different siblings. I know my sisters would. We know he has at least two sisters because they're always mentioned in the plural. Their names are not given. He might have had four sisters. Might have had six sisters. We're not told. 
But what a different childhood it would have been if Mary had been left alone with Jesus. And so Joseph is an, is an incredible example of faith. And Joseph understands that God's way often seems what? Harder. But it is always what? Better. And understand, this is not something that is lived out lightly. To grasp onto that, to embrace that God's way is the harder way, is hard for me. I want life to be easy. But God's way is often the harder way. But it's always the better way. Because Joseph lived in a time not too dissimilar from ours. Joseph lived in a time of great political chaos. And so do we. You know, I'm, I'll be 65 years old next year. I'm getting Medicare. You guys keep working and pay for it, will you? But I have never been around at a time politically when the nation was so divided. I grew up in the 60s. I had hair down to my shoulders. It was good. Right, baby? And, and Gwen used to wear Daisy Dukes. <laughs> but the deal is we had Vietnam and as a nation we were split we had a thing called the draft then and when you were 18 years old boys you registered for the draft and the nation would decide you're going or you're not going it was an awful time people burned their draft cards and did a bunch of other stuff I was, I was in college during the 60's and every year we, we boycotted finals it was over the Vietnam War but it was really because we didn't want to take finals but it was chaos back then. Traditions were being overturned, but it was nothing like now, nothing like, like today where you've got half of, half of the people are on the left and half of the people are on the right, and there's nothing in the middle. There's no negotiation. There's no compromise, and Joseph got that because he lived at a time when his country was occupied by a foreign, oppressive ruler called Rome. Politics were a mess. And you had different parties in the life of Jesus all the way from the publicans who were the tax collectors on the right and the Herodians who supported Herod, the ruler by Rome. And then you had the assassins who was a political party that killed the Romans. It was a crazy time. And yet, I think Joseph would have read the book of Daniel who was also taken from his land when he was 14 years old and implanted in a place called Babylon by a king named Nebuchadnezzar. They tried to force him to do things that he wouldn't do, but Daniel knew this in chapter 2. He said, Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and he sets up other kings. You know, if your hope is in the political process, you have no hope. I think we ought to have good and godly people in politics, but my hope is not in the system. My hope is in the God who's in charge of everything, the universe included. And Joseph had that kind of a God who, in spite of the political chaos, said, you know, I'll obey. That's how Joseph ended up in Bethlehem. The Romans decided that the Jews could pay their taxes using the Jewish method. The Jewish method was to go back to the city of your ancestors and pay your taxes back there. That's why Joseph ended up in Bethlehem. He could have just said, no, I'm done with this. No, but he went. Second, Joseph understood financial unrest. Think about it. If you marry a girl, or if you're engaged to a girl, or you, your, your fiancé has a baby, his carpenter 
carpentry business is shot because his reputation is tarnished as well as hers. And we know that they went to Bethlehem and stayed for at least two years because when the wise men visited the manger, it wasn't in a stable, it was in a house. And then after two years of living in Bethlehem where he didn't have a business, then they had to go to Egypt and stay at least two years because of King Herod trying to kill the infants. So Joseph had political and financial unrest. His financial life was in turmoil. He had no way of earning a living, and that's okay, because he chose God's harder way. You know, one of the things we do at TBA is encourage you to get through financial peace. One of my favorite verses in the financial peace program is 1 Chronicles 29. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made literally wealthy and given strength. You might be rich, you might be poor, but God's in charge of your riches. Whatever you have, and most of us have plenty, you just ate Thanksgiving till you burst. God loves you, and you have a, an abundance if you live in this country most of the time. Joseph didn't have that, but he was willing to go all in and trust God for his political and his financial future. But Joseph also had relational tension in his life. Men, do you understand relational tension? I get that. See, because we are not good at relational things. Often I'll ask Gwen, how are we doing? You know, when I do counseling, I always bring the couple in and I'll say, on a scale of 1 to 10, rate your marriage. And I have never had a man give me a number below 7. And I have never had a woman give me a number above 5. What does that tell you? That we are different relational creatures. Joseph understood that. Joseph understood that, you know, men are known for what they do. When I meet a new friend, I say, what's your name? And the next thing is, what do you do? Women are known for who they know. It again was put upon my heart while my daughter-in-law lived with us the last two weeks. She used to be a fashion model. And I mean to tell you, she can spend some time in the bathroom. She, she's got to put paint on the old barn. That's what I told her. I don't tell that to her face because she's bigger than me and would smack me. But I just feel so bad for the women in the world that have to get up in the morning. You know, when I get up in the morning, i got to do my hair. You know what I do for my hair? That's it. I'm done. I'm good. I shave. If, if I miss a few hairs, it's okay. I'll get them tomorrow. It's not a big deal with me. But you poor women. I mean, you got to do your hair, and then you got to do your eyes, and then you got to do your makeup, and then you got to do your lips, and then some of them... Some of them, they shave their eyebrows and they paint new ones on. And they look like they're surprised all day. Am I right? And then they dress. See, I, you know, I didn't put much focus on what I wore today. I just asked Gwen, what should I wear? But when a woman gets dressed, every piece is in place because women do not dress to impress men. Women dress to impress other women. Am I right? I'm right. Trust me, I'm old. I'm right. <laughs> and relationally we don't get some of that stuff Jesus before he left his men his key men with whom he had great relationships said this peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give you let not your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful 
God wants us to have relational peace in our families, and sometimes that's so hard. And I'm sure there were times when it was hard with Joseph, when politics were a mess and finances were a mess, and he looked at Mary and they had this child like, how are we going to make it? And so Joseph, I'm sure, thought this because I've thought it, and my life was easier. I think nobody cares. You know, he, he takes this pregnant woman and he drags her to Bethlehem and they show up at the inn. Except my own opinion is the room, the room uh, for in there is not always the word used for a motel. It's more often the word used for a guest room. And we know Joseph would have had family in Bethlehem because he was going there to pay his taxes where his family was from. And my better guess is when Joseph got to the guest room, owned by his family, showed up with his pregnant woman and they said, Joe, there's no room for you here. There are times I wish I'd said that to my relatives, but in this case, it was true. I could be wrong, but that's just my opinion. But I have for sure thought nobody cares. I've said to my wife upon occasion, you know, if I died, no one would notice. For weeks, maybe by the end of the month, the bill collectors would notice. And I think Joseph had to struggle with three questions that I want you to wrestle with as we, as we try to land this plane. Three questions. First, is God aware of your situation? As you come through Thanksgiving and look toward Christmas, you probably have circumstances in your life that are less than ideal. Some of us deal with physical illness. I know in this group there are people dealing with really severe physical issues right now. Some of us deal with job tensions. I remember being a kid twice, my dad was laid off over, ho- over the holidays. That was hard. Sometimes there's a family issue that just, whether it's parent-child, child-parent, or husband-wife, and boy, the holidays can, can, can just wear you out. Is God aware of that? Does God understand every detail that's going on in your life? Have you wrestled with that and come to grips with the fact that God is indeed sovereign and he understands everything that I go through. And sometimes God allows me to go through the harder way. Galatians 4 says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. There was no accident that Jesus had to be born into the family of Mary and Joseph at the right time, in the right city, to the right family, in the right lineage, fulfilling all the prophecies. God is not sitting in heaven scratching his head saying, boy, I hope they get this right. And he's not scratching his head for you. In fact, the very hairs on your head are numbered by the God of the universe who has everything in your life in control down to the last detail. Have you wrestled with that? Is God aware of your circumstance, your situation? Question two, is God powerful enough to change it? Yeah, he is. Yeah, God can snap his fingers and my circumstance can be removed. He can heal you if it's a physical problem. He can give you a new job or a new boss. That might be better. He's probably even going to give you a new family. That one you're kind of of stuck with, aren't you? But you can get a new family. You can see transformation from within your family as people put their faith in the Lord God Almighty. Can God change your situation? We got to have my dad visit this week. Years ago, I would never have had my dad come into my home. And he danced with three of his great-granddaughters. Literally got up and danced. That would have never happened 20 years ago. 
but God has worked in my family situation to do some things that I couldn't do, and the circumstances have, have changed there. It happened with Jesus. Remember when he was in the, in the boat on, on, on the Sea of Galilee and the storm came up and the, the waves are coming over the boat and Jesus is asleep and they shake him and say, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? And Jesus changed the circumstances. Calm the storm. But then the next time there was a storm, he came walking to them on the water. And Peter says, Lord, get me out of this boat. I want to walk on the water too. And, and, and Jesus just about let him drown. You may end up in a situation where, where, where Jesus just about lets you drown. But he knows your situation. He's strong enough to change your situation. And we know in the end, Romans 8 says, For God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Thanksgiving week is huge in my life because in 1969, 45 years ago, I gave my life to Christ after a long series of events that were not fun. I'd gone off to college to play football, and instead of playing football, I got really sick. I spent almost two weeks in the hospital in Philadelphia, and when I was discharged, I was so weak that I couldn't even go up and down the stairs. It came to the drop and ad time in college, and I couldn't get into any courses that I wanted. And so rather than grind it out and be sick up there, I decided I'd come back to Lakeland, where my parents had moved in 68. So I was going to recuperate in Lakeland, and I'll tell you what, I hated Lakeland. I didn't know anybody here, and I didn't want to know anybody here. But the one thing I wanted to do was play football at the University of Pennsylvania, and I could not do it. The other thing I wanted to do was be in my fraternity so I could drink beer and chase girls, and I could not do it. And the things I wanted most in life, I couldn't have. And when I had reached that point in my life, God sent some guys into my life who loved me to Christ who over a period of weeks and months shared with me how I could know Jesus in a way they knew Jesus and I did not. And in 1969, driving down Cleveland Heights Boulevard right near Scott Lake Road, I gave my life to Christ. It was a hard way to get there, but it was the best. If you've not done that, understand God, God's way is often the harder way, but it's the best way. Jesus went through some awfully hard things for you. He came and lived in this corrupt place and, and went to the cross and died for your sin and my sin so you don't have to die. And that takes us to question number three. Does God love you? That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about the fact that God loves the world so much that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Do you have eternal life? If you were to die today and show up at the gate of heaven and God were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you answer that question? It's a pass-fail course. I tell my friends this. It's not that you've lived a good life or that you've been nice to your family over Thanksgiving or you're buying the right Christmas gifts or you wear the right outfit or you even show up in church on Sunday. It's all about what have you done with Jesus. And when you put your faith in the fact that Jesus came and died on the cross for you, and that he took the punishment you deserve, then you have the promise of forgiveness and eternal life. If you haven't done that, that's why we exist as a church, to invite you into a relationship with Christ on the basis of your faith in what he's done for you on the cross until Christmas comes this year. And as the band comes, I'd like you to just close in prayer. But remember this.
God's way often seems harder, but it is always better. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time of year. In the midst of the joy, we pray that you'd help us to always remember that you sent Jesus through a very difficult way so that we could know you personally. And I pray that if there's anybody here that needs to know you, that you would encourage them to not leave this place or get through this Christmas without knowing you in a personal way. In the meantime, Father, we're thankful for Joseph, who understood what it was like to be unappreciated, and from time to time we all feel unappreciated. And I pray you'd help us to show appreciation for one another, for we pray in Christ's name.